do. I don't know if, if any of you saw last night, but there was a, there was a report on the, on the, the 10 o'clock news uh, that they actually discovered another chapter in Genesis. Y'all didn't see that on, on, on KTC? Yeah, there's another chapter to Genesis. Well, it's actually not a whole other chapter, but it's just a continuation of chapter 2, some, some hidden scriptures. And, and so I did a little research, and I want you to see what they are. I want, I want you to understand the, you know what I'm saying? We're a full gospel church, and I want to give you the whole, the whole shebang this morning. So I'm going to read to you the lost chapter of Genesis this morning. It says, Adam was hanging around the Garden of Eden, feeling very lonely. So God asked him, what's wrong with you? Adam said he didn't have anyone to talk to. God said he was going to make Adam a companion, and that would be a woman. He said, he, he said this, this pretty lady will gather food for you. She will cook for you. And when you discover clothing, she will wash it for you. She will always agree with every decision you make. And she will not nag you and will always be first to admit she was wrong when you've had a disagreement. She will praise you. Next verse. She will bear your children and never ask you to get up in the middle of the night to take care of them. This is the word, y'all. She will never, ever, ever have a headache and will, feel, and will freely give you love and passion whenever you need it. And all the men said, Amen. And Adam asked God, he says, well, what will this kind of woman cost me? And God said, an arm and a leg. Adam said, well, what can I get for a rib? And the rest is history. <laughs> right? <laughs> All you men were like, by the time the word works for us men. Sorry, guys, it was a joke. <laughs> but we're going to continue today. And, and listen, we're, we want to have fun. We want to relax. We want to work on it. We want to do better. And, but listen, this, this message series it's not just for married couples. I want you to understand something. Everything that we teach is for, it's for singles, but it's also for every relationship that you have. There's most of the content that we share with you, you can extend and practice in every relationship, and then you'll watch all of your relationships begin to get better. How many of you would say, that's okay? That's, it'd be good if all my relationships got a little bit better. So this morning, I want to talk to you about emotionally re- healthy relationships. And just like being physically fit to run a marathon or to make it through this life and live to a ripe old age, we need to be physically fit to some degree. All of us need to be emotionally fit. Amen? To be in good relationships with other people, I need to be emotionally healthy. I need to get my stuff straight. (laughs) I need to get all this together. Come on. And so, so I want you to look at your neighbor and say, listen up. You need to hear this today. <laughs> so I want you to take the next 40 minutes or so, and I want, you to, I want you to separate yourself from your spouse just for 40 minutes. You can't stay this way when you leave. Just separate for about 40 minutes. And then this is what I want you to do. Hear, hear me out. I want you to focus on you today. Because a lot of times when you're at a marriage conference or you're hearing a message on marriage or a sermon, a lot of times we'll start thinking about what that person needs to do. Well, she needs to do this. Amen, pastor. She needs to do this. Or amen, pastor. I've been telling him to do that. And you'll focus on the other person. So today I want you to separate. I want you to look inward a little bit. And I want you to examine your own life, your own personal health and how how uh, your own personal emotions and see how healthy they are is that okay so here's what a healthy person looks like according to scripture colossians chapter 3 verse 12 to 15 says this 
Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone, say anyone, who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in what? Peace. And always be thankful. That's, that's what scripture says a healthy, an emotionally healthy person looks like. That's, he's, the, the word of God is describing what we look like when we're emotionally healthy. And I want you to understand something today. We didn't, man didn't create marriage, but God did. God created the institute of marriage. So watch this. If God created marriage, then God's going to also supply us with everything that we need to have a successful, happy, not always happy, but joy-filled, healthy marriage. How many of you believe that? God has everything that you need. And listen to me very carefully. If your marriage doesn't have this in it, you're missing the mark. Because these are his instructions. Can I get a better amen? You want to know how to treat your wife? Read your Bible. You want to know how to treat your husband? Read your Bible. You want to know how to treat other people? Read your Bible. And then put it in the application. (laughs) Read it and then do it. Well, Pastor, I've been reading that thing for years. Yeah, but have you done it? (laughs) So let me give you 10 qualities of emotional health this morning. Yes, 10. Sorry, it's 10. Normally three points. Hate to break the habit, but we're going to go to 10 today. And I, I, I was um, told that my notes, my sermon notes are a little skewed this morning. So you're going to have to really pay attention if you're taking notes because I messed up the notes. I wish I could tell you I messed them up on purpose to make sure you're paying attention, but it was an accident. And so somebody told me that the notes were backwards or out of order. So pay attention. Number one, the first quality of emotional health is affection. This is the ability to express verbal and physical affection to the satisfaction of your spouse. (laughs) Not filling your own affections, (laughs) but filling your spouse's affections. I was raised by my mom and my grandmother. My dad was nowhere around. My My mom was a pretty tough lady. She was pretty, but she was tough. Uh, My mom could dress up and look real, real nice and drive a dump truck. I'm not kidding you. She, she flipped one down a levee one day. My mom could, she could, she could love you, but she could beat you. <laughs> she could bring you to the point of death and then pull you back in. That my mom was very unique, but my mom never really showed me a lot of affection. Um, she, she, would, she loved me. She bought me things. She, she gave for me. She provided for me. I'm not saying any of that, but there wasn't much huggy, feely, kissing kind of thing with my mom. My grandmother, on the other hand, was a little bit more. My family as, as a whole, I mean, we look at each other when we see each other after 10 years ago. Huh. <laughs> I mean, that's about as good as it gets. And you're like, ah, oh. <laughs> anyway. And so, but my grandmother was a little more affectionate than, affectionate than the rest. And I, I was preparing this message and I was reminded of when we used to have our back porch worship sessions. When I was little bitty, my grandmother would sit me on the swing and put her arm around me and she would sing these hymns as we swung on the swing, swing, swung, swing, as we swung. I'm going to get it right sooner or later. And so then when I got to be about Ethan's age and I was taller, I had to put my arm around her because it was just kind of weird to slump underneath grandma. She's a short lady. 
And, and, but we had these moments where she would show me affection. Uh, if she came in, my grandmother worked a lot of nights. If she came in early in the morning, she would always swing by my bedroom and plant me a big old kiss on the cheek. One time, one of my buddies was sleeping at my house, and he convinced me to give up my bed. So I slept on the floor. He slept in the bed. And he told me, he said, dude, I woke up to your grandma's lips. <laughs> he said it was quite frightening. <laughs> So we laughed about that for years. But I I was raised in an environment where there wasn't a lot of affection. And I married a girl who was raised in an environment with excessive affection. I mean, you don't you don't see them without kissing and hugging. You don't leave them without kissing and hugging. I mean, it's like she's got this one aunt and I love her dearly. But she's got some old school ways. And and she freaked me out the first time she did this. She gave me a hug. And she kissed me on the neck, and she did this weird little. (laughs) I don't even hardly know you. I was still trying to get her name right. And she did it to me. I was like, whoa, sister, what you doing? Hold up a second. So she was a little overboard on the foot. But that's the environment my wife was raised in. And so I've had to learn how to be affectionate. I've had to learn how to hug. I'm not a natural hugger. I've had to learn how to kiss people. It's not natural for me. I'm, I'm good if we just you know, cross the room, <laughs> whatever. But I've had to learn how to be affectionate. Romans twelve ten says this, to love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. So God wants us to be affectionate towards one another. And affection is a quality of emotional health. The ability to be able to to show your affection and display your affection, watch this, in a genuine way, not in a weird stalker type of way, is a good thing. Amen? So it's good for us to be affectionate. It's good for us to give it away, but it's good for us to have also received it. And affection is a lot like love. You can't give away what you haven't received. The greatest help I got with affection was, was in my relationship with God. It was in moments like we just had in worship where I've had those moments at my house and, and God just showed me some affection. You with me? And so, so God's helping me. So here, but here's the truth is that though I wasn't raised in an environment of affection, I'm still responsible to grow in it. Come on. I'm, I'm responsible. I got to take some ownership and I got to grow in this thing. I can't just say, well, my mama raised me that way. You can't live your life that way. Right? You may have to give somebody some knuckles one day. You may have to hug your kids. Just saying, God's going to work on you. Number two is empathy. This is the ability to empathize with others and focus on the needs and desires of others, especially your spouse. Say others. We've got to learn to be others-focused too. We can't just always concentrate and focus on what we're going through and what we're feeling. We got to open up our minds and our emotions for others, right? I'm going to give you a verse that proves it to you in Philippians chapter two. It says to be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. What? Think of others as better than you, but they're not better than me. Think of them as better than you. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. So scripture's clear that we need to have empathy for one another. I like to define empathy because it's one of my weaknesses. I took a, 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 a strength test one time and, and my results came in and empathy 
was at my bottom. It was like out of 34, I was a 32 on empathy. The good news is, is my wife was a number two with empathy. And we used to get frustrated with each other because she could sense how people were feeling. And she'd come in, so we're pastors in the church, right? So she'd be like, well, is so-and-so okay? I'd be like, baby, baby, they're fine. I mean, they didn't punch nobody. They didn't leave the church cussing. They're good. No, no, no. I'm telling you, there's something wrong with them. There's something, something's up. She had this thing about her, and it would drive me crazy. And she, she was the one with my kids. She was the one my kids would run to. I never could figure it out. They'd cut themselves. They'd run right past me to their mama. I'm like, yo, daddy's here. I'm like, yeah, but you ain't going to give us nothing. <laughs> you're not tatting me. You're not even going to give me a Band-Aid. All you're going to tell me is, it's going to go away before you get married. <laughs> I've created that environment. My kids can tell you, and I'm trying to break it. But I've had, to, I've had a real struggle with empathy. But my definition of empathy is, is the ability to put myself in somebody else's shoes to try to gain an understanding of how maybe they feel. Have you ever done that? Have you ever tried to understand how somebody else feels? Have you ever put your feelings aside and said, well, let me consider their feelings too? Before I lash out, before I fuss, before I complain, can I, can I just take a minute and maybe think about how they feel? And have empathy for one another. Cheryl and I's early days were rough, especially with my empathy being so low. And maybe one of you guys, the first service, couldn't relate with me. They were really holy. And um, so I really felt condemned after that service. So I'm hoping somebody in here can relate with me today. So if you can't relate, just shake your head like you relate. Make me feel better. Is that okay? In the early days, I would come home from work with these expectations. I worked 10 to 12, 14 hours. I'd come home. I'm like, hmm, supper's going to be ready. House going to be clean. Kids going to be all dressed up, waiting for their father. And all these great things. Their wife going to be looking sexy. Come on. I'm going to get home. And it's going to be like, whoa. So only get home to, you better shut up. I'm going to beat you when your daddy gets home. My wife never does that. I'm just Some of you, I'm just trying to relate. And you walk in and you've been working 10, 12 hours dealing with all these knuckleheads at work. And you walk in thinking, man, this is going to be nice. And the house is chaos. Supper's not cooked. Kids are going crazy. And your wife's over there, got the shakes. She's, she's trying not to do something illegal. And, and, and you walk in and I'm going, and I would walk in and I would go, what's she been doing all day? Watching soap operas? God, I wouldn't say that. I would, I would just think that. You follow me? And Because I'm smarter than that. I would never say that, but I was thinking that, right? So I'd walk in. I'd just, what's up? Straighten up. Act right. I'm going to kill you. And then go to the bathroom, take my shower, put my clothes on, and go sit in the recliner and sulk. It wasn't until years later that I understood what she went through when I came home. <laughs> you see, there's always another side right? She had to help me understand. And when I came home, she was like, mm, there he is. Been, been 10, 12, 14 hours hanging out with the boys. No, they ain't done nothing. I need some help. These kids are about to drive me. I done folded the clothes. I done got the, the supper. Well, I thought about supper and, and the kids are still alive and, and all this. And she's sitting there going, well, he's just going to walk right past me and go take it. What the heck's wrong with him? Right? 
Isn't that how it is sometimes? You don't have to raise your hand. I'm not trying to get you in trouble, but just kind of give me one of those. It's, you know how it is. We come in, we come home sometimes and we don't stop and consider what our spouse has been going through that day. That's because we're me focused and not we focused. Come on. Listen, the Bible says when we said I do till death do us part, we became one. If she's not healthy, I'm not healthy. If I'm not healthy, she's not healthy. Amen. We are one. God sees us as one, one package, one deal. And we need to be healthy and we need to consider one another. So that was empathy. The third one is communication. This is the ability to honestly and openly communicate in a gracious manner. I said a gracious manner. I said a gracious manner. I said a gracious manner. We got to learn how to communicate. The greatest struggle in marriage is communication. Are you hearing me? It's communication. It's, it's learning how to, how to say what's going on in here. Are you feeling me? It's, it's learning how to describe what's going on inside of me. It's communication. It's saying it in a way that they can receive it, but also saying it in a way that I can get it off my chest, that I can, I can get it out there. Come on. It's communication. We have to communicate. It's a must to communicate. You ever have those days where you pass your spouse up in the, in the hallway and they go, hey, I know you. I don't know. You've been running so hard. You haven't been talking. We got to communicate. We got to make time to communicate. If you can't communicate with your spouse and you can't communicate with your children, then chances are you're not communicating with God. Can I get a better amen? You're probably not communicating with God. Listen to me. If you don't communicate with your spouse, you're not giving the, your children the example of what real communication looks like. You've got to be able to talk without the bombs. Put the guns down. All guns stay in the garage. Come on. Take the grenades out too. Take all the weapons off before you walk in the house. Get this right. And get your tone right. You've been barking all day at work. Don't come home barking at home. And all the people at home said amen. You heard about what the old Cajun lady said, huh? She was about 90 years old and she's full of wisdom. She said, she told her grandson one day, she said, yeah, them men's, them men's, they bark all day, but they meow at night. Isn't it true? You're going to come into the house barking, thinking you're going to get some meow that night. It ain't going to happen. We got to learn how to communicate. We got to learn how to sit down and have a conversation and work some things out. Right? We got to, the only way you get on the same page is if you tell each other what page you're on. Right? Cheryl and I had this big knockdown drag out one time. Yeah, we have those. And, and, and it was a bad one. We was about to call 911. That's Pastor Bubba and Tracy. And, and so we, we were at that point and we couldn't, we couldn't hash out and, and God helped me. <laughs> and, and he said, he said, do this, call time out. <laughs> so we were, we we're like screaming. I know y'all never do that. And especially the way you're looking at me, we're screaming at each other. And I go, time out, time out, time out. We're not getting anywhere. It's right here. I mean, we're, we're throwing grenades, shooting shotguns. We're not getting into a time out, time out, time out. Let's catch our breath. We walked away for a little while and we came back. I said, listen, I gave her a piece of paper and a pencil. And I had a piece of paper and a pencil. I said, 
Evidently, we got a communication problem. So we've got to work on this. Write down everything that's frustrating. That's a scary statement, y'all. She may have needed a notebook. (laughs) Write down everything that's frustrating you. I'm going to write down everything that's frustrating me right now. And then we're going to sit and we're going to talk about it peacefully. And at any moment we start to get hostile, we're going to take another time out. Right? Because the goal is to communicate. The goal is not to win. If one of you is winning the argument, then the other one's definitely losing. And you're probably losing them in the process. So congratulations for being good at arguing, but you're still losing. The goal is not to win the argument in marriage. The goal is to come to a a, a central understanding of one another where we can communicate. And so we sat down and it was painstaking. I had to zip my lip and listen to her tell me everything I did wrong. But I knew my time was coming. And she sat quietly while I was unloading on her. And she'd try to speak and say, ah, I didn't talk during your turn. It's my turn. But listen to me. What we learned in that moment was to hear one another. Communication is not just talking. It's listening. In fact, most of it is listening. Most of us men, we were good at fixing things and coming up with the solution in the middle of the conversation. But just hold on to it till the end. If she asks you for it. So communication number four is confrontation. This is a good one because I think a lot of people are scared of confrontation. Some of us are very good at confrontation and some of us like it too much. But most of us are scared of confrontation. We're scared to confront issues. We're scared to, 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 to talk about the problem, the elephant in the room. You follow what I'm saying? Sometimes we're scared to bring up something that might cause some drama, that might cause us to actually have to mm, work some things out. Say this. Let me say marriage is work. Say it again. Marriage is work. I didn't think it was work. But it's work. We have to learn how to confront one another. Confrontation is a healthy thing. Confrontation is healthy. Confrontation will help you. It'll help you get up this, get this mess that's boiling inside of you off your chest. And it'll help your spouse to grow. And it'll help you to grow in the process. We got to learn how to confront. We just got to learn how to confront the right way. And in a timely way. Come on, somebody. Because some of you hold on to your confrontations too long. You sit there and you bottle them up and you, big, you build a big bomb like a mega bomb of stuff and you hold that thing and you actually sometimes get excited to, to light the fuse because you're waiting and everything they do builds up. It builds up. It builds up. It builds up stuff and more dynamite, more gunpowder, more stuff inside this, some screws, some nails. You want to do some damage when this comes out and you can't wait until they, they, they pop your fuse and then you just give them the mega rebuke. Boom. And you just give them this whole list of stuff. Can I just tell you, that's not fair. It's not fair to pretend that everything's okay and then one day unleash all hell on your spouse. Hello? That's not fair. It's better if you just create an environment where we can speak, where we can confront. 
If your spouse's breath stinks, they need to know right now. Some hanging out their nose, they need to know now. Not 10 days. Oh, you remember, you remember two weeks ago, babe, you had your breath stunk. Well, that don't do me any good now. Right? You got to confront some issues. Come on, that's a silly one, but sometimes, you, you, anyway, some, <laughs> I'm trying not to step on toes. But there's something going on. You got you to gotta step out of your fear and step into a place. Listen, you got to start confrontation somewheres. You may not get it right at the beginning, but just start somewheres and get better at it. Amen? Learn how to confront what's going on inside of you. Help one another out. I've, I've preached a couple of times with my fly open. Not on purpose. And my wife was trying to confront me during my message. So I'm up here like, praise the Lord. And, and I didn't know, but she had a sign. She wrote, your fly is open, bruh. And she's sitting in the front like. How many of you would say I needed that confrontation? I needed to know. <laughs> it didn't do me any good afterwards. Right? <laughs> it was done. You probably will never forget that analogy. Confrontation. Stop looking at me. I feel you looking at me. <laughs> I probably shouldn't have said that. That's okay. Never do confrontation angry. A couple of reasons people don't confront because of fear of making things worse because they're passive. Oh, you know if you're married to a passive-aggressive person. <laughs> yeah, you live on pins and needles. Uh, experience being bullied, maybe that's a reason you don't confront is because somebody didn't, didn't do it right or you're scared to mess things up. Look at what Proverbs 15.1 says. A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. A gentle answer deflects anger. Think of it this way. It deflects it like a shield. Like if somebody threw something at you, you could ping, deflect it. You follow what I'm saying? A soft, gentle answer deflects anger. Your spouse may be furious with you, but if you'll respond gently and softly, you can deflect the anger. Harsh words <laughs> create more wrath. Amen? And so we've got to be careful with that. The, the fifth one is feedback. Feedback is the ability to receive complaints, correction, and input in a gracious manner without being defensive, say defensive, or hostile, say hostile. Because some of you, nobody can tell you anything. <laughs> my wife's a good cook. <laughs> and all of you that have eaten in my house can say amen. She's a great cook. You can look at me and tell she's a great cook. I'm a living, breathing proof that my wife cooks well. But my wife doesn't, doesn't take feedback on her cooking very well. I'm going to say that because she's not in here this morning. And I want to continue to eat. But sometimes she makes something and she'll say, how was it? <laughs> and I get stuck in this dilemma where I got to be honest because I'm a, I'm a Christian. I got to be honest. You lie, you fry, right? And I go, well, it could have used a little more salt. And then the kids will let me open the door first. Yeah, mom, it could have used a little bit of this. And, and then the kids are like, oh, daddy done broke the, the mold open. So we go. And they all start unleashing on their mama to which she goes, well, I said I ain't cooking no more. Stop being defensive. Put your gun away 
Can I give you some feedback? Can you receive it without being hostile? You see, we got to get to a place where we, we begin to crave feedback and not fear feedback. Because listen to me, feedback, honest, timely feedback helps you to grow. You get better with feedback. Come on, somebody. You get better with honest feedback that comes in a timely manner with the right attitude with it. We all need feedback. We need to learn how to crave feedback. We need to start asking people, how was that? Can I, can I be better at that? Can, what, what can I improve? Come on, somebody. We need, to, we need to learn how to crave feedback and create an environment where feedback is welcomed. One of the ways you create that environment is by quitting the retaliation. Baby, can I just tell you, your breath stinks? Can I get you a tic-tac or two or three? Well, your hair's jacked up, and you don't look like you've been in the gym for three months. How many of you know you don't want to give them no feedback after that, right? And you know what? You walk on with your bad breath. Oh, yeah, I know how you, I've heard y'all talk to your spouse. Don't worry, I've been listening. But feedback received produces growth. You've got to create an environment for it. Psalms 141 verse 5 says, Let the godly strike me, it will be a kindness. If they correct me, it is soothing medicine. Don't let me refuse it. Say this with me this morning. Say, feedback is good. I need feedback. Can anybody give me some feedback? <laughs> Y'all don't want it. Y'all lying in church. <laughs> Y'all don't want no feedback. Look at your spouse and say, give me some feedback. Still, you don't want it. Y'all scared of the truth. I'm telling you right now. Number six, responsibility. Responsibility is the ability to take responsibility for your behavior and say you are sorry with sincerity and grace in a timely manner. Can you say the three little words, I am wrong? Can you say that? Can you say, I'm wrong? Can you look at your spouse and say, I was wrong. Can you own it? Are you healthy enough to be able to take responsibility for your actions? The other day I was, I was wanting to do some research. So I'm, I'm, I'm in a room by myself doing, I'm on my phone doing some research. And it was just some research. And, and my wife came in and, and I thought I was getting like a quiet time, you know. And so she comes in, sits down and like, she wants to talk. But I want to research. And so she's talking, and I'm kind of researching, you know, and you kind of start doing this. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And finally, she kind of gets up and just storms out. I'm like, what's, what's wrong? What's wrong? You're always on your phone. To which I could have said, well, you too. But I didn't. For one time, I got it right. I got up and I said, baby, you're right. I'm wrong. Squashed it right there. Squashed it. The goal is to squash it as fast as possible. Now, that doesn't mean that I take responsibility for stuff that isn't mine. 
But I got to take responsibility for mine. I got to own mine and she's got to own hers for us to get along and to get this thing going down the road. Come on, somebody. Can I get an amen? If I don't own mine and keep pointing the finger at her, we're not getting anywheres. It's good preaching, Pastor Jamie. I tell you what, man. I need to hear that. You got to take responsibility for yours. You can't be too prideful and too self-centered to think you're all that in a bag of chips and you're never wrong. Amen. Amen myself. Number seven is service. It's the ability to serve and give to others who are not reciprocating, especially your spouse. We got to serve one another. We got to learn how to serve one another. You can't be selfish and serve somebody else at the same time. To serve somebody else, selfishness has to leave. For men to fold the clothes, selfishness has got to die. For men to mop the floors, selfishness has got to die. For women to weed eat, selfishness has got to die. Come on. I don't like my women weed eating. I like them with softer hands, as my buddy would say. But we got to learn how to serve one another. We got to learn how to sacrifice some things for one another. John 13, 14 to 15 says this. It's an incredible verse. It says, And since I, the Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Now watch this. This is Jesus. His disciples walk into the room. He's got a bowl and a towel ready. He's given him one of the greatest examples he's ever given. He he gets on his knees with his towel. He pulls off their sandals and he begins to wash their feet. And And his instructions to them were, do this to one another just like you've seen me do this to you. You see, he lowered himself enough to still take out the trash. He lowered himself enough to wash the dishes. Ladies, you should be saying amen. Dear goodness, not too often I hook you up like that. But we've got to learn to serve one another. There's a couple of enemies of serving. Number one is scorekeeping. (laughs) Well, I do this. Yeah, well, I did this. Yeah, but I did this. No, I did this. You may not say it verbally, but I bet you keep scoring your mind. She don't do nothing around Selfishness is an enemy of serving. Rigid roles or an enemy of serving gender roles. I, I, I was, I came up, I don't know if I learned this from somebody or I just got this on my own, but I, I was under the mentality that man take care of outside, woman take care of inside, right? I never could convince my wife to clean the fish when I brought them home. I just I never got that far. But, but I, I didn't realize I was creating gender roles in my house where I would only do the outside stuff. And when I came inside, I should have got it done. Didn't work out very well for me. But what I learned was here in the last years that my son, who's 16, going on 17, has picked up his daddy's gender roles. And him and his mama butting heads because this brother don't want to do nothing in the house. I mean, he's even made the statement. Well, that's for y'all women to do. I say, dude, don't say that. That's one of them father-son times you pull him out and say, bro, don't say that. It's like the time we were cooking shrimp and I gave him a sample. He said, I got a sample. I said, you don't say that. There's just some things you don't say. And, and so he's learning that there's not, a, there's not gender roles. So he's having to learn how to fold clothes. Yes, even his sister's underwear. He's got to fold them. 
I don't care what y'all say. That's just weird. <laughs> I'll fold my own underwear, right? You know what I'm saying? Service. <laughs> we got to learn to serve each other. How do you improve that? By stop keeping score and start evaluating yourself. Are you blessing your spouse? Are you blessing the people that you're in a relationship with? Are your friends blessed when you come around? Are you a blessing to them? Or are you just with them? Come on, we've got to learn how to bless one another. We need to learn how to give gifts to one another. We need to learn how to surprise one another. When's the last time you went home and blessed your spouse? When's the last time you did something that almost made them fall on the ground? I was anxious to get out the house Thursday, Friday morning. I was anxious to get out the house. It's my day off. I was going to go do some stuff, my stuff, man stuff. And my wife was finishing up taxes. And she hadn't had much time for anything else, so a lot of things fell behind inside the house. And so I was, I was getting ready to blast out the door because you know how we are. We've got to go outside, kill, eat, conquer. And, and I'm blasting God the house, and I hear the Holy Spirit say, you need, to, you need to bless her. I said, okay. So I knew what was bothering her the most. It was our bedroom and our bathroom was a little chaotic. So I went in there, and, man, I said, well, I'm going to knock this out. So I started grabbing stuff, putting stuff up here and there. She's in the, in the kitchen doing the taxes calculator the noise and I'm in there man I'm I'm doing this putting stuff put her makeup away ah, put you know I grabbed up all the dirty clothes <laughs> you know how it is and I'm walking through the kitchen and she looked at me we've been married for 20 years now I kind of know what her looks say and her looks like oh I appreciate you doing that but you're just gonna drop that on the floor ain't you <laughs> I read that when she looked at me I ain't lying to you I heard those words in her eyes. You're just going to drop that on the floor. You're not going to separate that. I appreciate it, but you could go a little further. So I walked up in the, in the, in the utility room and threw them on the floor. Separated whites, work, coloreds, delicates. Tucked everything in nice and neat. Cleaned up the bedroom, cleaned up the bathroom, and walked out the door. I'm out. I just did something, y'all. I scored some points. But the, la- the last week's message, we learned that all points expire at midnight. Hated that I preached that. <laughs> Can't do that. I start proofreading my own sermons. But we got to serve one another, y'all. We got to help one another. We got to be sensitive to when somebody else is going through something. We got to be aware of one another. We can't get into a place because listen to me, the natural tendency is to coexist. That's the tendency. If you, if you don't do anything, you're going you're gonna to naturally fall into coexisting with one another. And all you're going to do is just not fight. But what's really happening is you're not thriving and you're not living And you're missing out on all the incredible blessings of marriage. Amen? Because, yes, it's work. It's hard work. But listen to me. Marriage is rewarding. It's rewarding. I'm looking forward to the day where Cheryl and I are 85 years old. And we done, the grandkids have just left and they wore us out. And and we're sitting there. We're holding hands on the porch. And we, we get to share the experiences that we enjoy together. Come on, marriage has its rewards. Still got flame inside. Come on, somebody. 
Number eight is forgiveness. It's the ability to process the ability to process anger, offenses, and disappointments in a timely and gracious manner. We've got to be ready to forgive one another. You remember the verse in Colossians that says you've got to make an allowance for one another? Listen to me. The day you got married, you should have started making an allowance for your spouse. Create some space, an allowance. They're going to slip. They're going to fall. They're going to do something stupid. They're going to say something stupid. They're not going to... They're going to buy something and not tell you about it. They're going to do something that requires forgiveness. You need to go ahead and make an allowance for that forgiveness. You need to understand that people are going to fail you, so I need to predetermine in my heart that there's going to be some forgiveness there. It's a whole lot better when you've predetermined that you need to forgive them and that you make an allowance than to be in the moment and go, well, I guess I've got to forgive them. Because if you've made an allowance for it, when the offense comes, you can get, okay, all right, I understand. I didn't appreciate that. I don't like it. But, all right, I forgive you. Let's move on. Isn't that a whole lot better than living in shock? You've already made an allowance for it. I've failed my wife. I've broken her heart. I've disappointed her. I'll never forget when we were first married, I don't, I don't know how many times I've said this, but I was unfaithful to Cheryl when we were dating. We dated for four years before we got married, and I was unfaithful. And I'll never forget, she knew something was going on. And so before our wedding, she, she asked me, she said, have you been faithful to me? And I lied to her. Straight to her face, I said, yes. And typical Jamie, I said, have you been faithful to me? she said, yeah. After we were married for a year or two, I was sitting in a marriage series, something like this. It was in Broussard, and Pastor Jacob cracked a joke about marriage. He just made a funny. And just, boom, the Holy Spirit just nailed me. He said, it's time to deal with that. <laughs> to which I said, what you doing, my willis? So I went home. Tried to take a nap. There was no peace. I couldn't take a nap. I wrestled with that till late that, that night, and Cheryl was, was taking a bath. I figured if I caught her in the bathroom, she couldn't run. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I did actually think that. <laughs> and all I remember saying to God was, I'll confess it. I just hope you make her stay. I'll never forget. I got on my knees next to the tub, and I just had to come clean. I said, I need you to forgive me and I need to say I'm sorry because I've lied to you and I've been unfaithful to you. And in that moment, I didn't know what was going to happen next. I didn't know if she was going to hit me, which was highly likely. I didn't know if she was going to storm out of the house and never come back, grab Virginia out of her crib and, and, and never come back. I didn't, I didn't know what was going to happen. But you know what? There was, there was something between us that wasn't healthy and it needed to be dealt with. And it was scary. I want you to understand me. It was scary. And she forgave me. I can't believe she forgave me. But she did. I had to rebuild trust 
I had to prove myself over and over again. But she forgave me. I can stand before you today and brag on my wife and say this, that when she forgave me, she never threw that back in my face again. Not one time did she ever remind me of my unfaithfulness. And I'm telling you, that's part of my healing and part of me not going down that road again was that she completely forgave me. As married couples, as friends, we got to make some room, some allowance for forgiveness. We have to. We have to forgive one another. We got to refuse to bottle up frustration and offenses. Matthew 18, 21 to 22 says, Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times, Jesus said to him, I don't say to you up to seven times, but to 70 times seven. (laughs) He wants us to forgive one another. (laughs) Number nine is vulnerability. This is the ability to be vulnerable and reveal weaknesses without fear or shame. Men are too macho to be vulnerable and women are too mistrusting to be vulnerable. Men don't want to show their feelings. Women can sometimes mistrust and not want to show their feelings or be vulnerable and let somebody in. I want to say to you, don't be too macho to open up yourself to your spouse. There's one person on the planet you should be able to trust. That's your spouse. And you should be completely vulnerable with one another. You should talk about how you feel. You should talk about what's going on on the inside of you. You should share with one another what's going on in your head and in your heart. Amen? We got to learn how to be vulnerable with one another. Guys, let me give you a little piece of of advice. If you want her to be real nice to you, learn how to tell her how you feel. Once she wakes up from passing out, she'll love on you. Amen? Amen? We've got to be vulnerable with one another. We can't hold things inside. I understand there's, there's a time that I don't need to share certain things with Cheryl that would cause fear, but there are times where I have to open up myself to her and tell her how I'm feeling. She knows I'm wrestling with something because I get edgy. I get short. And nowadays she'll walk by, and if I get edgy with her or short, she'll go, okay, you go take care of that. Come back when you're right. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Be vulnerable with one another. Intimacy is more than what happens in the bed. Intimacy is into me see. I want you to see inside of me. I want to open up my life to you and let you see what's going on inside of me. I learn to be vulnerable. And the tenth one is this, is joy. Joy is the ability to be joyful and faith-filled in the midst of difficulty. It's the opposite of being cynical, negative. It's being full of joy. To me, joy and drama can't exist together. (laughs) Amen? Amen. Ain't no joy with drama. But I believe that God wants us to live with this innate ability to go through anything and still have joy. 
It said, it said we, can, we can have so much joy that's found in Him and in our, our, our spouse that, that when things arise in front of us, it doesn't steal our joy. You've got to understand the tire will go flat, the battery will die, and the car is going to break down one day, but just because it does doesn't mean you have to freak out. Doesn't mean you have to lose your joy. People are going to die. It's a part of life. You're going to die one day. I'll never forget, I watched my mama, and this was all God. I watched my mama take her last breath. I was standing in my grandmother's double-wide trailer. My mom was there in a semi-coma, just dying. We tried everything. And they called me. I was in town running some errands, and I came rushing back. And they said, she, she ain't doing good, man. She's taking a turn for the worse. And I remember standing at the foot of my mama's bed. And it was my aunt and my grandmother and my best friend that showed up. And I saw her take her last breath. And I always imagined in my life, because my mama was everything to me, I always imagined that when she died, I would, I would just lose it. And I watched her take her last breath. And this, this strange sense of joy came over me. And I, grabbed, I said, let's pray. And I grabbed everybody's hands. I didn't know what to pray, didn't prepare it, didn't, didn't practice it. But I prayed a prayer of joy. And there was something new to me in that moment because in that moment, God came and he breathed on me and he gave me strength where I had no strength and he gave me the ability to do what I couldn't naturally do. And I, in that moment, I thanked God for my mama. Lord, I thank you that she's in heaven. I thank you that her suffering is over. I thank you that, Lord, she's in a, a better place. Not just saying it to be nice. I knew she was in a better place. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for her life. Thank you for the way she loved me. I had joy in my heart. Did I cry? Yeah, I cried. Cried my eyes out at the funeral. I didn't lose my joy. Does that make sense? No matter what comes your way, hang on to joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength, the Bible says. When you need strength, what you really need is joy.